You might think that's uh, maybe a little bit of a strange video clip to start a Christmas series or to start a series about joy. But, you know, one of the things about uh, the story of Jesus, the, the, the Christmas story, is it's not like Greek mythology or something like that. Jesus was a real person who came to a real place amongst real people, just common everyday people with real problems and real issues. And the reality is that life is hard. And if we're going to be joyful, we're going to have to be joyful, not in some you know, imaginary, mythological kind of world, but in the real world of pain and struggle and difficulty that we live in. And the holiday season doesn't magically erase or fix all of that. In a lot of cases, it just exacerbates it, really makes it uh, seem even worse, brings things maybe to the forefront that we try to push down under the surface sometimes because sometimes it forces people together that are the source of some of those difficulties and struggles when it comes to us being joyful. So if we're going to be joyful, uh, we're going to be, have to be joyful in, in the real world. We need some joy, I, I think, um, as people, as, as a nation. Uh, and apparently we're looking for joy in the wrong places. Let me illustrate to you what I'm talking about. So there were some news articles that were, were released recently, uh, and I'm going to read part of one of them uh, that just kind of highlights this, I think. Now, I'm going to read this first sentence. You're going to think, okay, this sounds like boring statistics, but uh, you need to really think about how profound this is, okay? Uh, the average life expectancy in the United States has been on the decline for three consecutive years. Now, in a nation as advanced with all the medical technology we have, that's crazy. Let me, let me show you how crazy it, it, it is. Now, it only uh, declined by, you know, this was like from two, 2016 to 2017, a tenth of a year. But the last time that we had three consecutive years of decline in life expectancy as a country was between 1915 and 1918. Well, there were two major things going on between 1915 and 1918. Anybody know what they were? World War I, hopefully that's obvious, or you need to go back to like middle school history. Uh, anybody know what the other thing was? Spanish flu pandemic. That's the last time that our life expectancy declined three years in a row. I mean, and those are two pretty uh, huge things. Um, you know, before this, it, it had been on the rise, uh, you know, con consistently for a long time. So uh, the CDC, I mean, obviously there's multiple factors that would contribute to this, and they can't pinpoint everything. But what they say is, is there's three uh, primary uh, reasons for it, and they're all reasons that would be us doing it to ourselves. I mean, this is primarily coming from the death rate increasing in younger generations. Okay, here's the first reason. A rise in drug overdoses. We're looking for joy in the wrong places. In 2017, there were more than 70,000 deaths 
because of drug overdoses. Opioids were involved in more than 47,000 of those. The age-adjusted death rate from drug overdoses in the U.S. rose 72% within a decade. When the CDC analyzed data from emergency room visits, it found that opioid overdoses went up by 30% in the United States just between July 2016 and September 2017. Second reason is an increase in liver disease. Over a 10-year period, the death rate for chronic liver disease and cirrhosis among men aged 25 to 34 increased by nearly 8% per year, while women in the same age group increased by more than 11% per year. Now, that's not always alcohol-related, but obviously uh, that's a pretty common factor. We're looking for joy in the wrong places. Third reason is a rise in suicide rates. Our national suicide rate has increased by 33% since 1999. In 2017 alone, that rate went up by almost 4%. While at the same time, the global suicide rate has declined by almost uh, 30% since 2000. We must be looking for joy in the wrong places. And so... You know, I find this research kind of startling, honestly, concerning, heartbreaking. And it would say to me that we need some joy, that we're looking for it in the wrong places, that really we must need some joy from above. C.S. Lewis uh, put it this way. He said, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We're far too easily pleased. You see, what he's saying, and it's very profound, it's very true, oftentimes we, we focus on changing our sinful desires and we think our desires are too strong. But what he's saying is really our desires are too weak and our desires are for the wrong thing. We, we settle for these earthly things. We settle for indulging our fleshly desires when God offers us the real thing, when he offers us so much more, a peace and a joy and a hope and a satisfaction from above that's not just fleeting, uh, that's not just temporal, but it, it's eternal and it is satisfying. You know, this satisfaction, this joy is ultimately found in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Now, if we're going to do a series, uh, even a short one uh, about joy, we, we probably need to kind of define what we're talking about when we, when we talk about joy. And I, I don't know about you, but I think there's some words that we kind of, we know what they are, we know what we mean, but it's kind of hard to put into words. I think love can be that way, right? Yeah, I mean, you know it when somebody's showing you love, but it's, it's hard to define. You know, there's some things that are maybe more, you know, beautiful than just quantifiable and scientific and that kind of thing. And, and, and I think joy is, is that way. Now, uh, but let, let's try to define it so we know what we're talking about. And, and, I, and there's a distinction here that was really one of the most helpful things to me that I learned as, as I was studying for this. So uh, there's a couple of common Greek words for this in the New Testament. There's a most common one, which is the word chiro. 
And uh, it's really talking about joy in an inward sense, an an inner feeling of pleasure, satisfaction, or well-being. Really, it seems as though to me, biblically, there's... um, the joy and peace are very closely related in Scripture. And this would really be close to a, a definition of, of, of peace. An inner feeling of pleasure, satisfaction, or well-being. But there's also another Greek word that's, that's closer to the, to the Old Testament sense of joy, which is more of a sense of jubilation. It's more outward, you know, public exultation. I mean, when you read passages about worship in the Old Testament, there, there's, there's a lot of outward, exuberant, emotional, passionate expressions uh, of joy. And so I think this is an important distinction to make. You know, sometimes if we have the joy of the Lord, it ought to work its way out where people can see it. I think that's part of our witness for Christ. I mean, uh, we shouldn't look, you know, morbid and miserable uh, all the time. Uh, You know, one of our famous Supreme Court uh, justices, Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. And uh, I don't think undertaker religion is necessarily going to be uh, that much of a witness uh, for Jesus Christ. I mean, it it needs to, you know, people ought to see in us, uh, in some way, the joy of the Lord. Now, we'll talk about this in a minute. Now, that's going to be expressed differently by different personalities, uh, obviously. But um, at the same time... uh, well, you know, we fall in the ditch on that side of the road. Let me go back to maybe my favorite phrase, you know, of, of just this dead, dry, joyless religion that's not really true biblical Christianity. On the other hand, I think sometimes people encourage Christians to put on this positive, happy, clappy, act like everything, non-real, non-authentic kind of face. And, and that's definitely a ditch that we can get into uh, as well, um, you know. I think we can always have this joy and this sense of this, you know, inward satisfaction. But I think something is wrong with us if we're always outwardly having this kind of jubilation or exaltation. There's a biblical balance here. Paul talked about being sorrowful yet full of joy. The Bible talks about, you know, mourning over our sin It talks about, you know, lamenting. It talks about weeping with those who weep. Uh, You know, there's a time to mourn. There's a time to grieve. Uh, You know, sometimes we're supposed to be sad about things that are happening uh, in our lives. That's normal. Sometimes we're supposed to be sad and brokenhearted for other people. Sometimes we're supposed to be uh, broken over our sin. And, And so, you know, to be joyful, to have the joy of the Lord doesn't always mean that, you know, we've got this big smile on our face and we're happy and thrilled, uh, you know, about everything that's going on in the world. There are some things that ought to break our hearts, right? I mean, sometimes we ought to hurt for people. Uh, Sometimes, uh, you know, we ought to be crying out for people to be saved, for God to deliver people from things and be broken over that. Like I said, sometimes we're just to be mourning over our own sin. So, so there's a balance. There's this inward sense. There's this outward expression of it. Now, 
before we move into the scripture that we're going to look at today, and we're going to look at several scriptures. We've got a starting place. There's a little bit more of a topical message, you know, as opposed to what we've been doing pretty much all year, walking through Ephesians. You will miss Ephesians soon, though. I'm prophesying it. I believe that's going to happen. But uh, there's three things, though, I want to mention to you that joy is not, okay? It's not exactly the same thing as happiness, Happiness is an emotion. Joy is a spiritual characteristic. Something comes from the Holy Spirit. Let me quote somebody smarter than me. That's always a good thing to do. Uh, Here's what Lori Arwood, our church counselor, says about it. Happiness is emotion often tied to an event or circumstances, while joy is deeper and can be present despite circumstances. Joy is tied to something the Holy Spirit produces in us, We'll look at that in a minute. Now notice this. Happiness isn't a bad thing, but the source of the emotion can be. And, and that's a really important sentence. Happiness is just an emotion, right? Emotions aren't good or bad in and of themselves. Emotions are symptoms of the soul. But here's the point. Something sinful can make you happy. Do you realize that? And it's not so much the happiness that's the sin, but what's causing it, if that's sinful, and if you're a Christian, that's not going to last. Um, you know, an example of that would be, is, is I've counseled with people who have a pornography addiction over the years. You know, that starts out making you happy, just like sin does, pleasure and sin for a season. But then people, Christians who are addicted to pornography, end up experiencing this incredible sense of self-loathing. That's what sin does. That's why we need joy instead of happiness. Okay? Now, fine to be happy, but we need something deeper than that. that, that that's the idea. Second, um, joy is not dependent on circumstances. Joy is not dependent upon circumstances. And I, I'm not going to say much about that now because uh, the third week of this series, the Sunday before Christmas, we're going to spend a whole message just on that particular issue of how we have joy during trials. And and so the third thing I would say is that uh, it it is inward, but it shows through outwardly. And, you know, along with that, it's it's not just about personality. Like like I said before, um, you know, if we're really saved, people should sense something of the joy of the Lord in us. But, but, I mean, how that's going to be manifested outwardly may vary from person to person. Some people are just outwardly more expressive, more exuberant, just in their natural personality. Uh, you know, I'm more of an introvert. Robin's more of an extrovert. So you're going to see this differently in, in, in us, you know. And so it comes out even kind of differently in, in our kids. You know, Molly's more like uh, Robin. Lily and Jay are more like me. They're more serious. In fact, uh, last month, you know, we went to Nashville uh, one weekend, and on the way down, we stopped to see Sylvia in the hospital. And uh, Lily and I went in. My, Robin stayed out in the car uh, with, with my mom. And, um, you know, I learned that night that my 15-year-old is better at me than making hospital visits, which maybe is a little humbling when you've been a pastor for 20-some years. But um, anyway, so Lily was like, just like, she was like just walking fast. She was actually like skipping into the hospital. She was like all just bubbly that night. And she's like, you know, I was like this way at school today. And my friends asked me, what's wrong with me? And (laughs) because that's just not normally her personality. She's like, you know, I'm happy most of the time. 
I'm just serious, and I don't know why I was coming out that. Different people are that way, you know, usually, and then probably you've married the opposite when it comes to that. Like, I think of Roger and Missy. Like, they're two of the godliest people that I know, but they're about as opposite of this, right? <laughs> Missy's exuberant. Roger's reserved, you know. It'd be over here during worship. Missy's, you know, doing her worship dance, like, don't hit Roger in the head or anything, and you're like... <laughs> Roger awake, you know, I mean, it, it just, I mean, they're both really, really godly people, but it just comes out, you know, differently, you know, outwardly. And so I don't think we need to, you know, judge each other on how it manifests outwardly, but, you know, do we have the joy of the Lord in, in, in our hearts? And so uh, hopefully that helps us understand what joy is. But now, you know, kind of with that in mind, what, what I want to do we're going to look at one verse and what Jesus says about joy here. And then we're going to look at some different scriptures. And I, I want to show us three ways today that, you know, we can actually experience uh, this joy that we're talking about. But, but one of the things that's important for us to understand is joy is not something we have to manufacture. It comes from knowing Jesus. It, it's a part of our salvation. It, it's a byproduct, in a sense, of uh, our salvation. So uh, let's read John 15, 11 together as a starting place today. And so Jesus said this. He said, and we're going to go, we'll go back and look at the verses that, that precede it in, in, in a few minutes, but he said this. He said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And, and, and so, just to, to, to point out a, a couple things to you uh, about this verse, and I want to give you a main idea that we're going to work with, it, 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 it's this. You know, Jesus said, my joy may remain in you. And, and so, uh, joy is the possession of everyone who has a relationship with him. It, it's really, it's the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, let me show you two or three verses about that. Of course, we know Galatians 5.22 that says that joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. But Romans 14.17 uh, and then 15.13 uh, say uh, this. Romans 14.17 uh, says that talks about us having, you know, that in salvation, there's righteousness and peace and joy in uh, the, the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 15, uh, verse 13, the, the Bible says that the God of hope may fill you uh, with uh, all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit. It, it's It's Something that God puts in us as we believe and as we are uh, saved. It's something that's there. But then, you know, if you look back in John 15, 11, he said that my joy may remain in you. And so here, here's the idea. We can't lose our salvation, but we can lose our joy. You know, there's a sense in which I think joy kind of leaks. So... We possess his joy, but 
are we losing his joy? And really, what he's saying here, he wants his joy to be full, to, to abound. He wants us to increase in, in, in his joy, to know his joy more and, and more. And so th- this is the main idea, really, that I, that I want to give you, uh, kind of a takeaway from this. And that is joy is our possession, but is it the expression of our lives? If you're a Christian, joy is your possession, but is it the expression of your life? Are you experiencing it, and is it being manifested in you and through you? Can other people see you know, the, the joy of the Lord coming out of you? So it's our possession, but is it our expression? And so what I want to spend the rest of our time just thinking about looking at scripturally is how can we you know, actually experience and express this joy that we possess in Jesus in our lives? And I want you to, you know, just to, to think about and, and be reminded that uh, you know, if you're not a Christian, that you know, our issue is that we're separated from God by our sin, but through the cross, we're reconciled to God. We're given the righteousness of Christ. We're at peace with God. But the byproduct of that, then, is we receive the joy of the Lord through the indwelling presence of God by the Holy Spirit. And so we don't have to, you know, try to, through happiness and through these worldly things, try to fill this void. It's there. There's a joy that belongs to us in Christ. So how do we experience and express this joy that we possess. Well, I want to show you three ways today, biblically. I'm not saying that there's not more, but I think these are very clear, and these are very foundational. So number one would be by abiding in Jesus. By living our lives you know, connected with him, remaining in him. Really, I think abiding in Christ and being filled with the Holy Spirit are practically synonymous. You know, we talked about uh, that two or three weeks ago in, in Ephesians. But let's just read here the context, the verses that came before verse 11 in, in, in John chapter 15. And really, I think in the section of John 15 that... Um, that we're in, that verse 11 is in, is we're kind of, Jesus is talking about like what comes when we abide in him. And this whole section of John, John 13 through 16, is basically Jesus preparing his disciples for his crucifixion, for his departure. And he talks a lot about joy there, but he also talks a lot about sorrow. And he doesn't separate the two. He's talking about joy in the midst of difficulty, joy in the midst of sorrow. But he says this, starting in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Um, You know, he's saying you're already clean. Saved by me, this is a passage more about spiritual growth. He said, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And of course, Jesus is using here an agricultural analogy 
that would have been uh, very easy to understand uh, you know, for the people that he was speaking to then. But I don't really think it's that difficult for us to understand, uh, even in our modern world uh, today. Um, I mean, if, if you take any kind of you know, fruit tree, flower, branch, you know, you know what, there, there, there's the root in which is the life that's flowing out to the branches or, or the leaves or uh, you know, wh- however you want to say stem and petal, however you want to uh, look at it. it. Once that branch gets disconnected from the tree in which is the, connected to the root through which the life is flowing, there's no life there. Right? It just it can't wait. It has to be connected to the source. And so it's saying for us as Christians, if we're going to live a fruitful Christian life, if we're truly going to be disciples who honor the Lord and fulfill his will and uh, you know, are joyful in these different things that he's talking about here, the only way that that can happen is by us staying connected to Jesus, us being surrendered to him, us confessing our sins, us being filled with the Spirit, us spending time with him, being in communion with him. He, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's why it doesn't work to try to live the Christian life on our own. And that's why I'm saying if, if we don't abide in Jesus, we're not going to remain in the joy that he gives us. We're not going to experience and express this joy that he puts in us because he is our joy. But if we're living disconnected from him, we're not going to actually experience that joy. Does that make sense? So if you don't feel real joyful, I'd stop and ask myself the question, how connected am I to the Lord? How much time am I spending with the Lord? Now, you know, as we talk about joy or peace or anything like this, uh, let me just I probably should have said this earlier. Let me just throw that out, throw this out there. You know, there could be some kind of physiological root to the way you're feeling. So if you're struggling with depression, those kind of things, you know, I'd have some lab work done, make sure, uh, you know, hormones, chemicals, things are in balance in, in, in life. You know, if you're really struggling with something like this, uh, I'd go see a counselor. Wouldn't just stay, start taking medication. I'd only do that if a counselor or like a psychiatrist, uh, someone like that, uh, you know, prescribed it uh, to you. But, you know, I would, we're whole beings. I would check that side of it. But, you know, if there's nothing wrong physically, are we in tune spiritually? Are we really connected with the Lord? Are we really spending time with the Lord? Uh, let's look at a, another passage from the Old Testament. Uh, the 63rd Psalm, part, part of it. It says this, says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. And this is one of the many psalms, songs that David wrote when he was in trouble. Okay? So this wasn't written from the palace. This was from the wilderness. Uh, He says, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in, in the night watches because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, 
I will, here's that word again, rejoice. Sometimes joy is maybe we don't feel it, but we rejoice in the Lord for who he is and what he's done for us anyway. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. Are, are we abiding in, in, in Jesus? Um, I'll tell you about an experience I had with this uh, several years ago. It was really uh, a, a turning point, honestly, in, in, in my life. It happened on a Sunday morning uh, at, at Manly Baptist Church in, um, what would have been? It would have been uh, sometime in the early part of 1996. And, you know, what had happened is uh, I graduated from seminary at Southeastern in December of 1995. Thought that um, I was going to become the pastor of a church in northern Virginia and uh, they pulled out of it like two days before graduation, didn't handle it with a whole lot of integrity, and uh, left us in a you know, pretty tough situation because we had like two or three weeks to get out of our seminary apartment, didn't really know what we were doing, didn't really have anywhere to go, ended up moving back here, living in Robin's sister's basement uh, for a little while. And, uh, you know, I'll just be honest, I didn't have a whole lot of joy at that particular point. Uh, I had a pretty bad attitude about uh, the, the whole thing and, um, you know, just didn't seem fair, didn't seem right, all these kind of things. And, and you know, um, of course, you know, the dumbest thing we can ever ask God for is like, God, give me what's fair, right? Because that's like hell. That's, that's all it is. So, I mean, you know, we're in a bad mindset if we start thinking that way. And, of course, you know, we start comparing ourselves to other people and all these kind of things. And I was like, you know, God, is it right? I mean, I, I, I know uh, guys who didn't even go to church while they were in seminary. You know, they've got jobs. They've gotten churches to pastor. And I served at church. All these, you know, these kind of stupid comparisons we make and, and, and that kind of thing. And so, uh, you know, Manly was Robin's home church. We, you know, we were at church there. One Sunday morning, uh, uh, Pastor Emmert was preaching. He was preaching from somewhere in Joshua. But, uh, you know, God's spirit began to deal with me. And, um, you know, this is one thing about coming to church. Um, really, coming to church and worshiping and experiencing God, it's not about following the cues from the stage necessarily. It's about following the cues of the Holy Spirit. It's about connecting to God and, and listening to Him. So if we're singing and you need to be praying, you pray. You know, if I'm preaching and you ought to be praising the Lord, you be praising the Lord. You know, if I'm preaching and God deals with you about you need to go make something right with somebody, leave and go call them or whatever. You know, listen to the Holy Spirit. That's that's worship. You know, connecting with God, glorifying Him, those kind of things. So God began to deal with me really about my sin, and um, you know, He took me from Joshua, whatever uh, Doctor Emmer was saying, and He took me to the Book of James, and James chapter one, verse two. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, my brethren. And, um, you know, really just began to, uh, you know, convict me about my attitude and just, you know, my mindset about all this. And I began to confess and repent of sin. And once I did that, you know, I began to then to worship him and to thank him. And, you know, I got connected with him, got filled with the Holy Spirit uh, again. And, you know, when that happened, the joy came back. And really, once my heart changed, kind of shortly after that, um, you know, our circumstances began to change. And, you know, I don't think that was because 
I don't think the circumstances changed because my heart changed. I think what happened is because my heart changed, we were able to experience what God already had planned for us. And, you know, I did an interim pastor. Then I moved to Maryland. Then we moved back here. And, I mean, it's not an exaggeration to say that that time in church that day was a literal, absolute turning point in my life. And because we can't be who God wants us to be, we can't do what God wants us to do, we can't experience what God uh, wants us, has for us, really, uh, what, he, what He wants for us, if we're not abiding in Christ, if we're living on our own, sooner or later that's going to crash. And unless we're connected to Jesus, we're not going to experience the joy that he, that, that he has for us, that He's put in us, because we're quenching the Spirit who's the source of our joy. So if we're going to experience and express this, it comes from abiding in Jesus. Second, and this is pretty simple, if we're going to express this joy, it comes from obeying Jesus. It comes from obeying Jesus. Here's, we can't live in disobedience as Christians and live in joy at the same time. It just doesn't work. I mean, let's just look at some verses. John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. If you remember, that's the verse right before the verse about joy. Matthew 25, 21. The parable of talents. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. There's joy that comes from being obedient and faithful uh, to God. There's an absence of joy that comes from disobedience being unfaithful to God. Paul said, Acts 20, 24, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. In other words, I'm surrendered. I'm going to be obedient, submissive to the Lordship of Christ so that I may finish my race with joy. Psalm 51, 2. Uh, psalm 51 is the great psalm of confession of David uh, after his sin regarding Bathsheba and Uriah. And so he said this. He prayed as he repented, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. We can't be in sin and expect to experience the joy of the Lord. As Christians, listen, if you can be happy, 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 uh, while sin sinning, 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 you're not really saved. I mean, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but it's going, God is going to deal with us about it. I mean, if you look in the book of Hebrews, in, in, in chapter 12, in, in verse 2, you know, it's telling us to look unto Jesus, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Think about it. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What was that joy? How could there be joy in the cross? Well, there was the joy of glorifying the Father through his obedience, and there was the, the, the joy of us being saved and, and, and knowing us. But then, if you go on in this passage, it says, For consider him who endured such hostility, from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You've not resisted uh, to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you're a Christian and you're in sin, you're experiencing the chastening, the discipline of God, and that's not really joyful. I mean, look at what he goes on to say. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? 
But if you're without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. If God doesn't discipline you, you're not really saved. That's what that's saying. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and, and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been uh, trained by it. So, if you're a Christian living in sin, you should expect pain, not joy. That's what he's saying. But the purpose of that pain is a good purpose to lead us to repentance, where then the joy of our salvation can be restored to us. You know, I mean, you've heard me say this before, but uh, I mean, the most miserable time in my life is when I was running from God when he was calling me to preach. And, um, you know, if I trace my spiritual journey, and those of you who are Christians, you could say the same thing. In times in your life, whether you know, you're not doing something God's told you to do or when there's a sin that we're committing, there's not joy there. The Holy Spirit deals with us. But, you know, the, the, the crazy thing was, you know, when I finally gave in to that, and I mean, I literally said, like, at least in my mind, however miserable this preaching thing is going to be, however bad it's going to be, it can't be as bad as being this miserable for the rest of my life. And, you know, sometimes it is bad. It's hard. It's, you know, it's heartbreaking. It's, 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 it's difficult. Uh, you know, it's, it's hurtful sometimes, you know, to see people struggle or sometimes people hurt you. That's part of it. But for the most part, Outside of just salvation and outside of my family, it's been the greatest joy in my life for the last 30 years. There's joy in obedience. There's pain in disobedience. And that's just how it works. And listen, I try to be careful you know, to, to, to not make it out to be, because I think a lot of people have been taught this, anytime we're going through a hard time, it means God's disciplining us. And, and that's not always the case. There's different reasons we experience trials. But don't discount that either. When you're struggling, you're going through a hard time, maybe there's sin there you need to repent of. Maybe God is disciplining you in some way. Here's the, the, the third way, though, that uh, we experience and express this joy that Jesus gives us that's our possession. And that is by being in a relationship with and serving other believers. By being in a relationship with and serving other believers. Now, think about this for a second. This may seem a little crazy to some of you. But, uh, you know, uh, Christianity is kind of upside down, right? We, we saw this uh, you know, in, in Ephesians. The, the Jews thought it was nuts that God was bringing them, the Gentiles, together as one body in Christ. But beyond that, God's plan for joy in your life, believe it or not, is people. Do you realize that? God's plan for joy in your life is people. Now, some of you are thinking, like, I thought God's plan for joy in my life, or, or people in my life was like pain and difficulty and, and suffering. Now, obviously, the fall makes it harder, but God's plan for joy in our lives is fellowship with other Christians 
and actually serving other people. Now let me just show you a few representative verses biblically. 2 Corinthians 7, 4 and 5. Paul says, Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I'm filled with comfort. I'm exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but were troubled on every side. You know, Paul had a tough. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. His joy and his comfort was found in another person coming to minister to him. He goes on to say, not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. He's having joy because these people care about him, and they're, they're concerned uh, about him. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean, like, we think of him as impervious to pain, but that's not uh, what he wrote in the New Testament, right? I mean, he was more Clark Kent than he was Superman, if you actually read his letters. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2, he says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you in the grace, of God, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia than the great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. That they were serving through their giving, but it, Paul put some phrases together there that really don't go together in our mind, but they should go together in our minds and in our hearts biblically. They had an abundance of joy and deep poverty at the same time. We don't, if we're playing word association, somebody says poverty, the next word you're saying is not joy, right? But that's what he says. Um, and then, you know, he used the phrase, the riches of their liberality, generosity. If we're playing word association, and somebody says poverty, your next word is not generosity either. You understand? Paul puts joy, poverty, generosity, serving others, even through our giving all together, connects it to joy. Philippians 4.1, he says, Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. He's saying, you know, these people that he led to Christ, this church that he started, are his joy and his crown. Acts 15.3, so being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. We ought to rejoice when we hear about people uh, coming to, to Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, he says, For what is our hope, uh, our, joy, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. He's saying that's who these people are to him. His relationships uh, with them, his, his, his service to them, are, they are a source of joy to him. Now, let me share something with you from psychology today. Because I think it's always awesome when modern science actually catches up with the Bible. You know, it keeps happening uh, all the time. Uh, it's, truth is coherent. And science correctly done, Scripture properly understood are not actually in conflict with one another because all truth is God's truth. There's natural revelation and in, 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 in creation, and there's special revelation in Scripture, and, but God is the revealer of, of, of all of it. And so uh, psychology today... Um, I'm not sure if they actually conducted the study or if they're just reporting the research of the study. But um, there's a study about depression. And, uh, you know, I kind of gave the disclaimer before about, you know, clinical depression, that kind of thing. But um, 
And, and specifically about the connection to low self-esteem and depression. And obviously, you know, you don't have to uh, have a PhD in you know, counseling to kind of figure out those two things go together. So, uh, but the, the study examined two ways of trying to increase one's self-esteem in a sample of adults with depression and or anxiety. So one group focused on self-image goals to increase you know, their self-esteem to improve their depression. And this would be, quote, obtaining status or approval, avoiding vulnerability during social interactions. Examples included, quote, getting others to notice your positive qualities, avoiding showing your weaknesses. So in other words, increasing your self-esteem, lowering your depression by focusing on yourself. Okay? Second group uh, focused on compassionate goals. And these were about, quote, striving to help others and avoiding selfish behavior. For example, making a positive difference in someone else's life. So what was the result of this? Uh, Analysis showed that a greater focus on self-image goals was linked with more relationship conflict and a worsening of symptoms during the six-week study period. In contrast, compassionate goals were associated with lower levels of symptoms and less relationship conflict. Now, if they had just read the Bible, they wouldn't have had to have spent the money on this research. Because that's what Scripture said for 2,000 plus years now. And then they did a follow-up study with um, you know, like significant others, close family members of the people in the study group. And here's what they said about that. That these results are both good and bad news for people with anxiety and depression. The bad news is that trying to boost our self-image by avoiding vulnerability and seeking others' approval backfires in more ways than one. It leaves us feeling depressed and and anxious and also damages our relationship. These two effects can reinforce each other, leading to a downward spiral. On the other hand, the really, really good news is that by turning our attention toward helping others, we make everyone feel better, ourselves included. We find not only relief from our depression and anxiety, but also improvement in our relationships. Who would have thunk it? Uh, Taken together, these two effects can trigger a, quote, virtuous circle in which improved relationships lead to feeling better, leads to improved relationships, and so forth. So if you don't feel a whole lot of joy, try helping somebody else. That's what the Bible says, and apparently that's what science says. So why would it work that way? Just real quickly in closing, uh, here's, here's some thoughts. I mean, seeing people saved brings us joy. You know, I thought being a pastor was going to make me miserable. I got to baptize my dad. I got to baptize one of my uncles. That's pretty awesome. That, that man, what, what better thing could I be doing uh, than that? Um, experiencing his God, God and his presence as we serve him fills us with joy. Fulfilling our purpose fills us with joy. There's nothing going to make you feel better than that. Ministry gives us a perspective that our problems aren't as bad as we think they are. That's one of the positive side benefits of doing pastoral counseling. It makes me realize that my life is not as bad as I think it is sometimes. So thank you. People often bring us joy when we minister to them because they end up ministering to us. Sylvia does that all the time. So thank you. And we're glad you're back with us today. Um, You know, when people show us appreciation, 
That gives us joy. You know, God created us for relationships, and this is how he designed the Christian life to work. The famous theologian Karl Barth said, it must be said that we can have joy, and that we can have joy, and therefore we'll have it only as we give it to others. There may be cases where a man can be really merry in isolation, but these are exceptional and dangerous. God created us for a relationship. So the good news is that if we're in Christ, we possess the joy of the Lord because Jesus, that source, is in us. But that joy can leak out of us. We can lose it. Are you experiencing, are you expressing the joy of the Lord? Well, at least three ways that we can actually do that is by abiding in Christ, by obeying him, and then by relating to and serving other people. So, uh, you know, what, what does this mean for us? Well, it means for some of us, maybe you need to get saved. For some of us, maybe you need to be abiding in Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. For some of us, maybe there's some sin in your life that you need to repent of that's keeping you from really, uh, that's really being manifested in your life. Some of you ought to get plugged into a ministry, ought to get plugged into a small group, get out of your comfort zone and reach out to some people and, you know, work on building some friendships and, and you know, get over maybe some of your fears of people and just trust the Lord. Yeah, people are going to hurt you sometimes, but it's going to hurt you a whole lot more to live in isolation because this is God's plan. This is how that he has wired us. Jesus died to make us right with God. You know, Romans 14, 17 again. We have the imputed righteousness of Christ. We're brought into peace with God. But the byproduct of that is we have the joy of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Is that joy being expressed in your life? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.